Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. All right, uh, we're going to get into the Word, and uh, I'm excited because actually the last six weeks in this series, uh, you know, they've been a little bit heavy, a little bit more aggressive. Today I get to be the fun pastor and like preach loud and have a little bit of a good time. So uh, I'm really excited to, to, to teach this portion of our series today. If you're joining us for the first time, we have been in a series, this is week seven, and we will conclude it next week, uh, and a series that we've titled, Am I Going to Heaven? And a very provocative question, life's most important question. Um, I told the last service, and I'll say it again, I've actually met with a number of people over the course of the last couple of weeks that have recently started attending the church, and they told me that part of the reason they came to the church was because of this series. Someone sent them a, a message on YouTube, or someone shot them something on Instagram, and they saw this title, Am I Going to Heaven? And they're like, uh. <laughs> so they came to a Masonic building to find out if they're going to heaven or not on a Sunday morning. And I, I love that. I love that God uses, uh, you know, this, this text that's a couple thousand years old to draw people unto himself and uh, wrestle with these important questions. But uh, again, if you're joining us for the first time, that title comes from the key verse that we've been looking at over the last couple of weeks. And it's found in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. They're going to throw it on the screen. Uh, but this is John's motivation in writing this letter to the first century church. He said, my purpose in writing is simply this that you who believe in God's son will know beyond the shadow of a doubt that you have eternal life, the reality and not the illusion. John and I share a common desire. I want every person who walks into the doors of these church, this church, I want every person that I come into contact with on this side of eternity to have that kind of an assurance. An assurance that says, I know that I know that I know that I am on my way to heaven. Not, not, not like a, a fake confidence, not a, not a fear, not an uncertainty, but a boldness to say, I am, I am confident beyond a shadow of a doubt that I, when I stand face to face with Jesus, he's gonna say, enter into the joy that was set before you. And John tells us that the way we could have such a confidence is by means of examination to discover whether or not our faith is legitimate. Uh, that word know, as we've shared every single week, is the word edo in the Greek. And it means to discover by examination or investigation. The whole purpose of this series, the whole purpose of this book is to treat the letter like a magnifying glass, to hold it over our lives and to look down at the way we're living, our day-to-day -day doings, and determine if there is consistency with what he's written and how we're living. And if we find that there is a disparity between what John has said the life of a believer should look like and the way we live our day-to-day -day lives, then we have an invitation to adjust course, make some changes. Why? So that we can be eternally confident. So that we can say, my life looks like this word. And so we've done that for the last six weeks. Um, I will spare you the six-week recap of all of the sermons, uh, but if you've missed any of them, you can check them out on the YouTube channel or on the podcast. I will, however, say, if you were not here last week, I strongly recommend you go back and listen to the previous sermon from last weekend because our very own Jazzy Milton preached an amazing message on what it looks like to love other believers. She's not here, but in proxy, we'll just tell her that we love her. She usually sits right there. Um, but I, I said, I shared this on Instagram. I want to share here as well. Um, I don't think anything brings me greater joy than seeing the people of God walk out in the call of God on their life. I love it. And, I, and by the way, the call of God isn't just standing on a stage with a microphone. For some of you, that would be the, like, the farthest thing from the call of God. Like, I've talked to you in the lobby. You're very timid. It would be awkward for all of us, okay? <laughs> 
But the call of God looks a lot different for, for all of us. It, it looks like maybe business for some or the medical field for others. For some, yes, ministry. For, for some, teaching and serving in kids. I mean, this, there's, there's a lot of things that fall into the call of God. But whatever that call is, I think that the church truly becomes healthy when you step into what God has for your life. I, for me, seeing Jazzy appear last week, and of course she's known how to communicate for years, but just, it was another, another moment where I could say, man, the church of God is doing just fine. This church is a healthy church. We may not all be vegans like she is, but man, we are a healthy community in Jesus' name. Come on, how many grateful to be part of a healthy community today? It just feels, felt so good. So thank you again to her. Um, uh, today we're gonna jump into the next chapter. She concluded chapter three. Uh, we're gonna look at chapter four today and I'm gonna make good on a promise that I made in week three of this series. Uh, if you recall, I said, there's certain portions of this book that we're gonna skip over because later on in the letter, uh, a concept will be explored in greater detail. And rather than just touching on it briefly in that, in that passage, I wanted to wait until the concept was reintroduced so that we could get a more holistic view of what the author was saying. Well, today is that day. As we start out in 1 John chapter four, uh, we're also gonna touch back into 1 John chapter two, where today's concept was explored a little bit as well. So let's, let's start with chapter four. Um, as John gets into this section of his letter, he begins to warn the New Testament church about false prophets and false prophecies. He says, hey, it's important that you don't believe everything that you hear. Some people, they claim to be speaking on behalf of God, but they're not actually talking for God. This is an idea that they concocted in their own brains. And they're trying to use God as a means to influence you, saying, oh, this is from the Lord, but it's not actually from him. And as believers, you need to be able to discern whether or not what is being said is truth or, in fact, a lie. And as he shares this warning to the church, uh, he concludes it with a really powerful portion of Scripture that's actually become widely quoted in the body of Christ and all of Christendom. And maybe you've heard this Scripture before if you've been around for a bit, but here's what he says in 1 John chapter 4. We're going to camp in this Scripture a lot today. He says, but you belong to God, my dear children. You have already won a victory because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit that lives in the world. Come on, isn't that a good scripture? I think we should read it together, shall we? Let's do it. But you belong to God, my dear children. You have already won a victory because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit that lives in the world. Now, if that were the only time that the Apostle John used that phrase, you have already won a victory, then for the next 30 minutes, my job would be to teach about not receiving from false prophets or listening to false prophecies. I might be forced to talk about some inaccurate prophetic words when it came to the election results. Um, I might be forced to talk about prophets out there who have influence Christians widely to look at certain anonymous websites and buy into conspiracy theories and it's getting quiet. So fortunately, I don't have to talk about those sorts of things today because this is not the only space in his letter where John uses this language. While he uses this, this, this phrase, you've already won a victory, speaking to the church's response to false prophets, he also uses it in a previous section of his letter. And that's where we're gonna camp today as well. So if you got your Bible, turn to 1 John chapter two. Again, it'll pop up here for you if you don't. But 1 John chapter two, let's look at these phrases again. He says, I'm writing to you who are God's children because your sins have been forgiven through Jesus. I'm writing to you who are mature in the faith because you know Christ who existed from the beginning. I'm writing to you who are young in the faith because you have already won your battle with the evil one. 
I have written to you who are God's children because you know the Father. I have written to you who are mature in the faith because you know Christ who existed from the beginning. And I have written to you who are young in the faith because you're strong. God's word lives in your hearts and you have already won your battle with the evil one. Three times, you have already won, you have already won, you have already won. So as much as I would like to give some creative title to our chat today, as you know, and that I love to do, uh, instead, I feel like this scripture has given us the best title that we could consider as we dive into the word today. If you're taking notes, we're gonna call it, You Have Already Won. You Have Already Won. Just such a millennial title, isn't it, you know? You've already won. Everyone gets a trophy. Even if you failed miserably, you're still a winner, all right? <laughs> Always making fun of millennials. All right, you've already won. Let me pray and we're gonna get into it. Jesus, thank you for your word. God, thank you for the opportunity to gather. I know that we're only six weeks into this now, but we never wanna take this for granted. Uh, this space where we can come together with uh, the rest of those who've called upon your name and those that are considering and those that are searching and we can lift up the name of Jesus together. God, we thank you for this setting. We, I pray over the next couple of moments, this phrase, you have already won, that it would get cemented into the hearts of every single believer in this room. God, that we would not approach our current challenges, our current battles, uh, trying to fight a battle that we don't need to fight, but we would understand that positionally you have already given us victory. God, show us that today. Convince us of that today before we leave this place. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen, amen. All right, little a Q&A moment here at the beginning. Um, how many of you have ever played a board game or a card game with someone who is a really sore loser, a sore loser. Anyone played that before? A lot of you, okay, <laughs> good. You put your hand down. Yeah, it, it, there's a lot of them out there. Um, okay, let's, let's try this. Um, how many of you are sitting next to that sore loser right now? <laughs> That's awesome, someone just got hit. This is great. <laughs> oh, Allie, you're a sore loser? I'm sorry about that. It can be a bone of contention. Yeah, Smarty, you're a sore loser, I get it, yeah. That could be a bone of contention in marriages and relationships. Okay, true moment of truth, true moment of truth. How many of you before God were in church? Don't be fooled by the men on the walls. How many of you are a sore loser? Okay, come on. Yeah, okay, good. Thank you for being honest in church, yeah. Samantha Hawley, if you were watching right now, you are the sorest of all losers I have ever played any game with ever, all right? I don't know if you still watch Church Online from Roseville, but if you do, just I might call to memory the Settlers of Catan incident, all right? We'll just throw that out there. No one knows what I'm talking about, but you do. That was for her. Yeah, I, I got a lot of sore losers in my life. You know what I'm talking about. The person that like, you know, gets really, really bent out of shape and, you know, they, they kind of mope around the house. They don't talk to you for a few days after you beat them in something as simple as a card game. I'm also that guy, if I'm being honest, okay? <laughs> if we're all being transparent today, I am a sore loser. I don't know what it is, man, but I feel like I lose a part of my soul every single time I lose a board game or a card game. I just can't take it. And I don't even have to be the one playing. Like some of you, like me, you like take on the emotions of like your favorite basketball team or like other people that you wanted to win in the Olympics or something like that. And when they lose, you are just miserable for days. I remember when the Warriors lost the, the, the playoffs a couple years ago. For days, I just moped around my house like I was personally on the team, you know? Like, just it emotionally affected me. <laughs> I hate losing, man. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not good at it. I'm a sore loser for sure. But there is something worse than being a sore loser. And I think we all know what that is, right? It's being a sore winner. You ever talk to one of those guys? Those like antagonistic folks? Like, oh, do you want to play again so you can lose? Because you're a loser? Like... Okay, yeah. 
I, I have a, a couple of uh, sore winners in my life as well. Some people I used to play basketball with that like to rub in my face that I was old and decrepit and shouldn't be playing with the younger guys. Uh, my sister, very sore winner. Uh, she always beats me at ping pong at my parents' house. Every holiday I go back and I try to take her out and every time she takes me out and I just keep going back like a dog returning to its vomit every single time. But, but the most antagonistic sore winner I know, hands down, in my life is my eight-year-old daughter, Livy. She is the worst. I remember uh, years ago, my family uh, got hooked on this game, Monopoly Deal. Everyone, everyone ever played that before? It's like the card game version of Monopoly. It's awesome. Saves you time. You don't have to sit there for hours. Uh, we, we got really hooked on this game. We played all the time with my kids. And uh, every day after school, my daughter was homeschooled at the time, so she was already losing at everything else in life. And, uh, and so we were, so every day after homeschool, she would come at me and she'd be like, hey, dad, you want to play Monopoly deal so you can lose again? And I'm like, you are eight years old. You better back up, girl. She'd say things like, hey, isn't it weird how like you used to work in real estate and I own all of your real estate in this game? Isn't that great? <laughs> hey, dad, look at me, you know. <laughs> She's eight years old. Uh, she, she just, she, she loved winning. She won every single time. And not only did she win, she got really twisted about the way she would win. You ever play with one of those people that like, like they want to draw blood as long as they can in the game just to watch you squirm a little bit? She'd win and she'd, she'd say, hey, everyone look at my cards. I could have beat you like 10 moves ago, but I just wanted to take all of your money first. Like, whose child is this? <laughs> She's probably going to grow up and be like a real estate mogul or World Series of Poker or something like that, for sure. And I couldn't be more proud. Hallelujah. All right. Yeah, sore winners. There's a lot of them out there. But there is... Something in the heart of someone who wins a lot, a confidence that exudes from them, whether it's my basketball friends, my sister, my eight-year-old daughter, there's something that happens in the heart, the swagger, the demeanor of somebody who is used to winning. They approach things a little bit differently, don't they? Like when you think about that sports team who has a, a winning streak, they walk into the game a little bit differently than the other team. The business guy that has seen success and opened up a number of businesses before and then he or she, they step out and they're gonna try a new endeavor. They walk out with a little bit more confidence than the person who's stepping out for the first time because they know they have a history. They have a track record. When you know that you have won in the past, it really does affect the way that you walk into the present. In fact, let me say this, and if you're taking notes, write this down. When you have a history of victory, you fight differently. There is a confidence in the heart of somebody who has been victorious in the past. There is a, a confidence when you walk onto a battlefield and you know, I've actually already defeated this enemy before. It's, it's a different perspective than somebody who's facing it for the first time. And I think that this is what John is trying to hint at, not so gently. He's used this phrase twice now in chapter two and once again in chapter four. I think the reason that John is so adamant about reminding us of our track record is because he's trying to instill a confidence in the heart of a believer to say, yes, you might be walking into a battle right now, but let me remind you, you have already won a victory. 
You do not have to walk out timidly. You do not have to walk out cautiously. You can walk out with some confidence knowing I have actually already defeated this enemy before. Look at these phrases one more time that he drops. Three of them. First John chapter two, he says, I'm writing to you who are young in the faith. Why? Because you have already won. Past tense. You've already won the battle with the evil one. John 2, 14. I have written to you who are young in the faith because you are strong. God's word lives in your hearts and you have already won your battle with the evil one. And then again in in, in chapter four, verse four, but you belong to God, my dear children. You have already won a victory. Already won, you've already won, you've already won. He's laying it on pretty thick here. In fact, in in Hebrew writing, what he's doing is very intentional. Uh, As you study Hebrew, when you see a phrase that is repeated, It's actually to only further affirm the truth of what the author is saying. It's as if to say, I'm saying this more than once because I'm trying to drive a point home. And this is now a three-peat. He says it three times. Numbers are important in scripture. Three is the number of perfection. What John is saying by repeating this phrase now three times in his letter is that this is not a possibility. It's not something that you can hope for potentially. This This is a statement of fact. This is an already done kind of thing. You have already done. It's not one, it's not up for negotiation. This isn't something you have to worry about. It's it's already taken care of. You have already won a victory. Now, if if John is that intentional about using this phrase over and over and over again, it would be wise of us to ask ourselves a question. What kind of victory is John talking about here? What sort of victory have we already won? Well, to discover what John is talking about, we need to look at who John is talking to, because the who ultimately reveals the what. Twice, if you recall, when he, looked, when he wrote in, in chapter two, he uses this phrase, I have written to you who are young in the faith, new Christians, new believers. To you, I say, you have already won a victory. Now that language is very intentional, but it's not exclusive. Uh, let me explain. When, when you think about somebody who is new to the faith, a brand new believer, a new Christian, you might not use a phrase like, they have already won the victory. They're brand new. There's a lot of battles that they still have to fight. There's a lot of things that they still need to walk through. Generally, that isn't a phrase that we would assign to somebody who doesn't have much of a track record at this point. I mean, think about new believers, right? They still got plenty of stuff to work through. It's a process called sanctification. They might still have some sin patterns and some behavioral stuff and some addictions they got to get through. New believer might drop the occasional F-bomb here and there or drink a little bit too much on a Saturday night before they come to the 11 o'clock service on a Sunday morning. (laughs) Right, because they're new. And and you know, we have a lot of those around here. Not necessarily the F-bomb dropping, drinking people on Saturday night, although... It is the 11 o'clock service. Uh, But there's a reason you slept in. I'm just kidding. (laughs) But we have a lot of new believers around here. Like like, like there are a lot of baby Christians that have made their way into the Father's house. Check this out. Year to date, two and a half years as a church, we've seen 509 people make a documented decision to follow Jesus here at the Father's house since we started. That's amazing. And yeah, that is worth celebrating for sure. But when I read this passage of scripture, I can't help but think about all 509 of those people. I can't help but wonder if, if one of them walked up to one of the veteran believers in the room and is like, I already won a victory. If it wouldn't be met to like the rolling eyes and the sigh of, you know, some veteran that's been a Christian for 50 years. Cause you know how those guys are, right? 
You know how people who've like been around the block a little bit act sometimes to the new guys? I've already won a victory in Jesus. Son, you don't even know what victory is. I've been taking up my cross now for 50 years every single day. I got the scars and the wounds to prove it. But I got the joy, joy, joy down in my heart. How far down in your heart? Could you tell your face, please? Like, isn't it interesting how experience looks down on inexperience? You ever been in that conversation before where the person who's gone ahead of you, they got a little more experience than you, they just condescend your current state? Oh, you're just a baby. You're in your 30s. Oh, you're just a baby. You don't even know yet. You're just a baby. I'm in my 40s now, and I'm so much more mature. You're laughing because you've been in that. Anyone hate it when the waitress calls you honey? I'm like, I am a grown man, all right? You don't call me honey. <laughs> what about like the people who've had kids? They're grown up, they're out of the house. You have your new kids. Any, any young parents? Kids under 10, kids under 10, kids under 10. Do you hate it when people look at you and they're like, oh, you don't even know what hard is, all right? You think it's hard raising your kid right now? Wait till they're teenagers. They're gonna rebel. <sighs> I'm like, no, they're not. I love my kids. They love Jesus. They're gonna be fine. But experience always tends to look down on an experience, does it? There's this thing innate in human nature where we, we believe that longevity is ultimately tied to victory. But John doesn't do that. John doesn't look at the young people in the faith and the inexperienced in the faith and say, you have no idea what you're heading into. You got so much battle left ahead of you, oh, you, you don't even, he doesn't do that. John is nearly 120 years old when he is writing this portion of scripture. And at 120 years old, after seeing some stuff, after fighting some battles, he looks at some new believers and he says, you, yeah, I know you've only been on the train for a little bit here, but you have already won a victory. Yeah. So, what is he talking about here? Because again, if we would not assign that phrase to a new believer, why does John look at somebody who's a couple of weeks into their faith and say, you've already won. The victory is already yours. How could he have the audacity to make that kind of a statement considering they don't even have a track record to speak of? Here's how. Because for all 509 of those people at our church that have recently started following Jesus, if today you are here and at the conclusion of this service, you make a decision to follow Jesus, at that moment, the greatest battle you will ever fight is not the one that is ahead of you, it's the one that's behind you. The greatest battle that any of us will ever fight is the battle for our soul. It's the battle for our eternity. And that's true, not just for the new believers in the room, even some of us who have been on this journey for a little bit of time. Listen, all of us, I know it's hard to remember sometimes, but all of us were once young in the faith. All of us still dropped the occasional F-bomb. All of us still drank a little bit too much. Well, maybe not all of us did, but you know what I'm saying. We've all been young in the faith and it wasn't our experience that brought us into a place of victory. It was a moment where we turned our hearts over to Jesus and as soon as our souls were spoken for, John, Jesus, and every other apostle in the New Testament would look at you and say, you have already won the greatest battle that you're ever going to fight. Let me, let me remind some people today of a moment. Maybe it's been a while since you've considered this, but there was a day when hell was fighting for your soul. 
Hell wanted to steal your future and rob you of everything good that God wanted to do in your life. And there was a moment, whether it was in a church building or a coffee shop or sitting with a friend, where suddenly the reality of Jesus became clear to you. There was, there was a man who lived on the planet 2,000 years ago when he gave his life up for me. And I know this doesn't make sense. I know this is crazy, but I feel this, this beating in my heart and I feel the Holy Spirit leading me to make a decision to follow him. And at that moment, you stood toe to toe with the enemy. You said, I'm not living by your mandates any longer. I'm not going down this road any longer. I am pledging my allegiance to a man named Jesus who came to this earth and gave up his life and he defeated hell and the grave. And yes, you, my enemy standing in front of me, he defeated it all. It says in Colossians chapter two that, the, that Jesus literally robbed hell of its authority when he shamed them publicly with his victory on the cross. It is already done. Jesus already paid the price. He already won the victory. And if Jesus won the victory and you're standing on his side, then you, my friend, yes, brand new or 50 years in the faith, you have already won. It's spoken for. And, and this is the... The posture, this is the understanding that John is trying to get all of us to understand. He's getting all of us to buy into. Every reader of this letter today and a couple thousand years ago, he's reminding them, hey, you've already won because your soul is spoken for. The, the theologians would call it positional victory. Meaning where I stand today, it's not on my own strength. It's not on my own track record. I am standing positionally in the victory of Jesus because he has already defeated my enemy. And as long as I stand with him, then I'm standing on the winning side. When I invited his spirit into my life, I invited a conqueror into my life and he filled me with a conquering spirit. In fact, that's what John goes on to state emphatically in chapter four, verse four. The scripture that I want to drill down into your heart and drill down into your mind today. Here's what he says. He says, you have already won a victory because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit that is in this world. When you invited him in, you invited a spirit that is greater than anything that you're going to face. Back to our thesis for a moment. When you have a history of victory, you fight differently. When I understand that, when I know that positionally I've already received victory, I walk onto the battlefield a little bit different. I face diagnosis a little bit different. I face bad news a little bit different. I face temptation a little bit different. When I understand, no, I have already been given a victory. So, so let, me, let me help you all a little bit before we conclude today. Let me give you some, some fighting tactic, if I could. Uh, everybody, um, everyone take your hand and put it up in the air. Wave it like you just don't care. No, just don't do that. <laughs> I've always wanted to be a rapper. Okay. <laughs> someone said, oh, here, put your hand down real quick. So someone said to me last service, I got, I got to say this. They said, I thought when you told us that you were going to show us how to fight with the enemy and you told me to put my hand in the air, I thought you were going to tell us to flip him off. I'm like, what church do you think you're at right now? <laughs> Tell the devil. Okay, put your head in the air. Put your head in there. Okay, here we go. We're running it back. Running it back. Okay, John says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, that greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world. There is a symbol for that, okay? Everybody take your hand, make a little alligator, all right? I'm taking you back to first grade math. Here we go. Confusion core, common core, whatever they call it now. Our kids are going back to school. Thank you, Jesus. All right. So in first grade, your teacher told you there's a little symbol. It's like a sideways V. 
And whatever that symbol points to is greater than what's on the other side of it. You, you point that alligator towards the bigger number. The other side is smaller. It's insignificant. It doesn't matter as much. But whatever's on the side of the alligator, whatever one he eats, is the greater one. You guys remember that? Everyone nod at me. Okay, put your hands down. Considering that truth, let's play another game that you learned in first grade. Ready? We're going to play fill in the blank. Throw that slide on the screen. Look at that for just a moment. Let it sink in for just a second. John says, 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, God is greater than. The spirit that's inside of you is greater than whatever it is that you're facing right now. I know that that is a very simple sentence to read, but it's very difficult to declare sometimes. What are you walking through today? What are you facing right now? What enemy seems to be breathing down your neck? Fill in that blank. I know that there's some people right now that are fighting a war with their health. Sickness, diagnosis, that might be the enemy they're facing. God is greater than your sickness. God is greater than diagnosis. In fact, in just a couple of weeks, we're gonna be celebrating the victory on the cross where it says in the book of Isaiah and again in the book of 2 Peter that by his stripes, you were healed. The beating of his body made a way for your healing. God is greater than your sickness. I know plenty of people in our church right now whose marriages are, are going through it. COVID has not been kind to marriage. There's pending divorce, there's separation, there's infidelity. God is greater than adultery. God is greater than divorce. God is greater than separation. Maybe you're here and you're fighting guilt. You're fighting shame. Every time you try to get close to God, it feels like there's a barrier because you know how you feel. You know what tempts you. You know what you've done. And every time you try to get close, it's like a wet blanket that keeps you from God. God is greater than your guilt. God is greater than your shame. In fact, there's chapter and verse in this book for that. 1 John chapter 3, verse 20. Even if we feel guilty, God is greater than our feelings, John says. And he knows everything. Clearly, I have that one memorized for a reason. If you're feeling guilty, if you're feeling ashamed, if you're holding your past and your sin against yourself, God is greater. Fill in the blank. Maybe it's anxiety. It's isolation. It's fear. In fact, let me just take a moment and stop looking at all of you and look at a camera for just a moment. I know that there are still some people that are watching church online today because they need to watch church online today. They're in a demographic of people that needs to stay home and be safe. But I also know that there's a lot of people that call the Father's house their home church that are living in self-imposed isolation right now. I know that there's a lot of people who are terrified about stepping out of their front door and you've lied to yourself and you've convinced yourself that you're thriving and you're doing fine as you've normalized isolation, but you're not fine and you know it. You're terrified and your boldness has been stripped from you. And it's time to remember, once again, believer, you have the spirit of God living on the inside of you. And greater is the God that is inside of you than COVID, than anything else this world can throw at you. It's time to get your boldness back because the righteous are as bold as lions and you are more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. His peace is available to you because greater is the God that is inside of you 
than whatever's happening around you. Fill in that blank with whatever you want. Unemployment, lack, sexual temptation. Go down the list. God is still greater. And I'm not trying to sugarcoat something or minimize your battle. I understand some of you are facing hell and high water right now. And this is not the easiest season you've ever walked through. But regardless of what you're facing, the truth of God's word still stands. He is still greater than any enemy you're going to square up against on this side of eternity. And we need to positionally put ourselves there and remind our souls there is a God inside of me that is greater than whatever it is I'm facing. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And if he is in me, then back to our title, I have already won. I can walk out onto the battlefield knowing this one's spoken for. Now, theologically, that's true. Positionally, that's true. But experientially, <laughs> sometimes it don't feel so true, does it? Sometimes it feels like we're getting our face beat in. I've already won a victory, but I'm a bloody mess right now. <laughs> uh, there's some people in here saying amen because maybe you're living in a season of victory, but there might be somebody in a row behind you or watching online that would say, I do not feel like I'm walking in victory right now. I feel like I'm being defeated. In fact, let's be honest. Sometimes we do lose battles, don't we? We've lost some people to sickness. We've lost some people to COVID. People have prayed the prayer and the divorce still happened. Believed for the job and it didn't come through. Sometimes we do lose the battle. So if that's the case, does it invalidate the truth of this scripture? Does it, does it mean that what John said is true for some, but not for others? Or maybe you're of the camp that said, well, if I lost this battle, it's probably because I didn't pray hard enough or because God's spirit is not inside of me. And so I need to repent more and get my life right with God because that's why I lost the battle. No, that's bad theology. So if I lost the battle, what, how am I supposed to buy into this, this statement of winning? I've already won the victory. Here's why. Because in God, victory is eternity. In God, this is not necessarily the battlefield that we need to be obsessed about. Sometimes we don't see the battle won here on earth, but we do still see victory in heaven. Let, let me peel back the curtain on Western Christianity if I could for just a moment. This idea that we've bought into that following Jesus is comfort and peace at all times and this we all have enough money in our bank accounts and everything's gonna be fine. Sorry, that's, that's not quite how this works. Take a nice slow read through the New Testament. Here's what you'll find. The New Testament authors understood we weren't necessarily fighting for the healing or the blessing or the restoration. We were fighting to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. We were fighting to keep our eyes on heaven and on eternity because this ain't it. There's a, a guy, many of you know, the Apostle Paul, well, you don't know him. You know of him. <laughs> if you know him, that's a little weird. But the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, one of the soldiers who went before us and understood this reality that he'd already won a victory. 
He'd be the old guy that would look down on some of the younger guys and say, let me tell you what I've been through a little bit while you're complaining about the season you're in. Oh, I'm sorry you've had to shelter in place. I had to shelter in prison a little bit, okay? He, he makes some statements in 2 Corinthians that I, I think we'd be wise to listen to for just a moment. Look at what the Apostle Paul says as he recounts some of the battles that he has been in. He says in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty four, five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day at the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the country, danger at sea, danger from false believers. I've labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and I've often gone without food been cold and naked. And besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. That's a bio right there. You put that on your Instagram, <laughs> probably lose some followers. That doesn't sound like victory, does it? I've been naked. I've been cold. I've been shipwrecked. I've been in prison. By American Christian standards, he's failing. By Western Christianity standards, this is not a man who should have the audacity to say, I have already won a victory. But for Paul and for John and for Peter and for anybody else who wrote in this book that we now hold on to as truth, they had an understanding. I'm not fighting for what I see. I'm fighting for something beyond what I see. Look at what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter four. He says, but I don't lose heart. Though outwardly, outwardly we're wasting away, inwardly we're being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles. <laughs> our light and momentary troubles. I'm in prison. I've been beaten a couple of times, just shy of the death sentence with 39 lashes. I've been in prison. I've been shipwrecked. No big deal. Light and momentary struggles. My light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So I fix my eyes on what is, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. You know what that is? That is a guy who has chosen to fill in the blank. That's a guy who has looked at every single one of his battles here on earth through the lens of a great God who has been able to say, you know what? It doesn't matter whether it's bloodshed or beating or imprisonment or shipwreck or rejection or dangers. None of it compares to the size of my God. I am not living for comfort on this side of eternity. I'm not living to get out of this prison cell. Even if I die here, it does not change the reality of my confession. God is still greater than what I'm facing right now. And listen, if you get nothing else out of this message in these last 10 to 15 seconds, please get this. To be able to stare at what seems like a failing situation and declare with boldness, I have already won a victory is not a denial of reality. It's an understanding of eternity. It's a perspective, a perspective that every single believer must process the challenges of this life through. I am not living and you are not living for pleasant circumstances here on earth. If we were, then our faith would have been taken out in this last season because there was nothing pleasant about it. No, we are living for a day 
where we stand eye to eye and face to face with Jesus. And when we look at him and he looks back at us and says, son, daughter, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy that has been set before you. I saw that you walked through some trials. I saw that you went through some tribulations. In fact, I promised it in my word, but you were not shaken by what you saw on planet earth. You were steadfast. You planted your feet, feet and you declared, God is still greater than what I'm walking through right now. That is what we're living for today. In fact, that's what I wanna pray over you as we conclude. Man, you guys can come. I wanna pray, I know this is a very simple message, nothing complicated about this. It's very simple to say, but it's much harder to live out. I wanna pray that by the Holy Spirit, there would be something that enters into the heart of every believer today, a confidence, so that you can face your challenges a little bit differently. Bow your heads, close your eyes, let me pray over you. Jesus, thank you for these promises that you have placed in scripture. Thank you that this is more than some kind of hype or a feel-good, glib confession. But God, this is reality. For all of us who have called upon your name, your spirit has indwelt us. And since we have your spirit in us, we, we have confidence. Since we have your spirit in us, we have victory. And I know that there are a lot of situations represented here and maybe those that are watching where it doesn't feel like victory is, is our reality, but Lord, we know that as we stand in the victory that has already been accomplished for us on the cross, it will change our perspective about what we're walking through. So Father, I pray for a reminder for every heart, every mind today that you are in them, you are for them, and that your word still stands true. That they are victorious in you. That they are conquerors in you. Whatever the case may be, whatever the challenge is, God, I pray that you would, you would solidify that truth in their heart today. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, I wanna take a moment as we conclude and just ask a very simple question. First John 4, 4 is a reality for those who have made a decision to follow Jesus. Those who have said, hey, I, I, I'm inviting the Spirit of God into my life. But for those who have not yet stepped over that line, this is, this is not your reality yet. You do not have a spirit on the inside of you that is a conqueror. And maybe it is evident. As you look at your life and you look at what you're walking through, it feels like you're just being conquered left and right. I wanna invite you today to make space for Jesus to come into your life. Invite the Spirit of God into your heart. Maybe you've been at a distance from God. Maybe you've run from Him for years or weeks or whatever. Maybe you've never heard of this before, but I wanna create an opportunity here before we conclude for you to get things right with God. And this is between you and Him. No one's looking around, but in just a moment, I'm gonna pray a very simple prayer. I'm gonna ask you to repeat that prayer after me in your heart, inviting Jesus in. But if you know you need to make that decision today without anyone looking, would you do me a quick favor? Would you slip up your hand and look up at me so that I know who I'm praying with today? Just identify yourself. Thank you, got you. Yeah, I got you right there, awesome. Right on, man, yeah, I got you over there. Yeah, come on, that's awesome. People making a decision to follow Jesus today. 
Thank you, God. All right, even if you didn't lift your hand, that's fine. We're gonna just pray this prayer. You can repeat it after me in your heart. Jesus, thank you for giving your life for, for mine. Today, I choose to give mine to you. I wanna follow you. I need this conquering spirit that we read about in your word. So fill me today, fill me with your spirit. Guide my steps from this day forward. Help me to walk in your ways according to your word, to be your disciple. When I, when I end up on the battlefield and I'm fighting an enemy that I can't defeat in and of myself, remind me that I have your spirit on the inside of me and a victory has already been won. I stand in that victory today. I'm winning the greatest battle that I will ever fight in this moment by giving my life over to you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Come on, can we just thank God for every one of those who's saying that prayer, making that decision today? Listen, um, if you just prayed that prayer in the room or even online, um, I wanna help you take your next step. We are very, very passionate around here about helping people get started on this journey of faith. We really think the first 40 days of this journey is, is so, so important. Um, if, you, if you prayed that prayer, even if you didn't lift your hand, there's a little card around you that we mentioned earlier called a Next Steps card. Um, on the back of that card, I'd like you to give me a little bit of information about yourself and check the box that said, I made a decision to follow Jesus. And at the conclusion of our service, you can walk out into the lobby, head over to the Connect area. You can give them that card. They're gonna give you a free Bible and they're gonna tell you a little bit how to get started, a little bit about how to get started on this journey. Uh, we have a group called First 40. It's kind of like some personal coaches around here that as you get started, we're gonna teach you how to read the Bible, how to pray. They're gonna tell you all about your next step, which is water baptism. Every single week, we baptize people in water here at the Father's house. And this is such an important step in your faith. So if you have yet to do any of that, please fill out that card and bring it back to Connect. For those those watching online, uh, you can click the little link at the bottom of the YouTube there that says connect and we will get all that information out to you as well. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we want to pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.